0: Let's dive in, and I thought, uh, just as a starting point, Tyler, maybe talk a little bit about your formidable experience as an entrepreneur, sort of what you started off doing after college and sort of where you traveled from there. All right. Uh, well, Brad, you,
1: you give me hope about um, doing a remake of The Matrix now that I've got a gillion gigabits <laughs> per second here behind me. Um, I started out, I guess, when I was a, a, a kid in entrepreneurial role, and transitioned later on to role in finance, and that was selling baseball cards, enough to, enough to uh, have a mail order company. And uh, I started when I was 12, and and I had a boatload that I sold when I was 14 and didn't know about taxes, so I got a visit from my dad about how to pay taxes, um, but it helped pay for uh, college at, at, at Georgetown, which was good. So. But so that was kind of the beginning of the entrepreneurial days. And then I, I cut my teeth in finance uh, by sleeping under uh, the desk in a cot, literally in the early 90s, working 100 hour work weeks at Alex Brown uh, in investment banking in Baltimore. Um, learned that point at, uh, when, I was, when I was there, uh, we had, it was the early days of the technology um, bubble, actually, was just starting. And I was an analyst on uh, Boston uh, Chicken, which is later became Boston Market as financial analyst, and they threw all my numbers out the doors as they went in and, and built a book over 30X in subscription when they went public. Nets, the importance of that is that Netscape came out in their IPO about three weeks later. And so some pundits kind of say that whole technology um, overvaluation at that time period was due to Boston Chicken, so got that going for me. <laughs> Um, like I said they threw out all the valuations out the window so uh, from there when I was in in business school in Boston I started two companies uh, one is a retail company uh, it was educational software toys books games those kind of things uh, with Simon property mall way too much work for the return It's profitable so we sold it but more importantly I started a technology company um, we got a group of business school friends together for a class project it's called Kendex um, and it was the first business-to-business marketplace out there. Um, it's supply chain managed, basically, where all buyers and sellers in one industry could come together and um, and conduct e-commerce in one platform, auction RFP, catalog, that kind of stuff. Really, really fun stuff, I can tell. Um, and we started in specialty chemicals, which makes it even more fun. But after. But I had my Alex Brown bonus money, and there was another kid from Nebraska I grew up with, and I said Nebraska. I knew I wasn't going to say that in this auditorium. Um, and 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 we funded it. And three weeks later, after I graduated, we went out to Silicon Valley and Kleiner Perkins, uh, John Doerr, uh, Brooke Byers. They funded us, and we had an eight billion dollar market cap. And in less than two years. It was the, it was the craziness, you know, hype. It, we, we'd announce a new industry vertical in the Republic like a healthcare marketplace and our stock mar- uh, market cap would go up about $500 million on the same day. And I knew that it was, um, it was coming to the end when I was meeting with the head of Georgia Pacific. And it was in Atlanta, had a slide up there that showed, you know, the strength of our company. And it, and it was our market cap. And, and he said, and I'm gonna have some blanks in here instead of swear words, um, he said, "Tyler, it, you know, it takes me blankety blank years to grow a blankety blank tree, and your blankety blank market cap's bigger than mine. Something's wrong with this picture." And it was. You know, we had uh, there was just a you know a lot of hype, but we bought some software companies on the way down. Um, but it afforded me a, a new life as an entrepreneur once I the lockup was over the uh, the IPL. Um, should I pause there before moving on, Brad? Don't pause. Keep going. Keep rolling. I've heard enough about myself already. But my mom would be proud. Um, so, so I took that liquidity, and, and I always wanted to be when I was investment banking on the other side of the table. I wanted to be the client. Uh, and um, after, it was after dra- a drafting session when they had a Papa John's, and 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 we're in there late night, and he he would order pizza in the drafting session for their IPO prospectus or a follow-on prospectus. And, and he was so mad that because they screwed up the pizza order so bad that he went out there in the city of Baltimore, in the middle of Baltimore, and went and made pizzas that night all night because he was just so he was just so frustrated. And I said, I want to be that guy making pizzas in the middle of the night because I care so much about being an entrepreneur in my company. And so, so um, anyway, so once I got the liquidity event, you know, humble amount of personal liquidity, I could kind of do what I wanted to do. Um, it was a mix of really alternative assets um, one of the the first things I did was uh, bought a solid waste company again really sexy stuff thank you and and then and then we did buy this this company that was appealing and it was the world's largest private jet dealership in Texas and it's called Tyler jet and I didn't buy it because my name's Tyler and it was it was just in Tyler Texas um, and they had uh, 30. Jets, Goldstreams, Falcons, Hawkers, Leers, those kind of things in inventory. Well, the owner had bought a NASCAR team a couple years before. They were cash flowing, 10 million bucks a year. He owned it solely. His real cult of personality with this guy is just the best darn salesman of all time. Well, the NASCAR team's hood sponsor was Lycos. And I don't know if the technology folks out here remember Lycos, because they are gone. And they had a $15 million a year hood sponsorship with his race car team. And they said to us, "We don't have the money. Let's go search for it." Uh, and
0: uh, he's never practiced that one. Yeah, that, that was actually that was that was just tonight. That, that was, was fresh. Well Impressive. That was freshy fresh. So I clearly have competition.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm here with a Zen master of venture capital like that. I've got lots to learn right here. I'm feeling it. Um, so. So we went, um, so here we are. I go in and he's, he's, his Lycos um, pulled out and said, sue us. And, and so his business and net worth, he pumped in about $25 million out of his personal balance sheet. He's starting to head towards bankruptcy. So we did a short sale arrangement with the banks. I put, you know, we, we put in a few million dollars into the operating company, went to the banks and said, hey, let us sell it under market uh, value. Here it's better than taking it in, in bankruptcy. Well, we did that, we peeled through solar airplanes, um, and then he embezzled several million dollars of my money. He also committed bank fraud in the process of doing that, and with the CFO in cahoots. And that's where I learned due diligence. <laughs> and, you know, being an, being an entrepreneur, you're not really expecting that to happen, and uh, that's definitely what they don't teach you in Harvard Business School is how to deal with criminals. And, you know, so lots of lessons, you know, learned from that. Um, And that's, uh, you know, we had due diligence, a lot of the legal due diligence, a lot of, you know, partnership issues, financial controls. I had to, in the middle of the night in Tyler, Texas, break into my own office um, because the CFO had the keys and, you know, Jimmy the locks and I owned it to discover that there was just money just leaving into a boat in the Bahamas. And that's how they're embezzling the money. It sounds like fiction, and I'm gonna write a book someday with it. But in the meantime, you know, we, I, I, have, I still hold the world record on eBay. You can Google it at a billion gigabytes per second. If you're in Boulder pretty soon. But, but um, you know, is is really you know, fun a little for a ride, but then, you know, embezzle the money. So they are in jail. And the one was about to get out the CFO, but I mean, it was crushing. I moved my family, you know, there and, you know, it was, it tested my relationship, my resolve, my, my wife's a news anchor, she's a news anchor here and she does a 10 o'clock show on channel two, tune in. Um, and you know, she had to move out of her comfort job, you know, that she was, she was in at NBC. And so, you know, it just wasn't worth it. And it was, it was pretty traumatic, but learned from it learned you know the process of due diligence um the real financial controls like uh you know uh signing on the bank account uh and and password access you know i've got a laundry list of things you know lessons that i can have actually even sum up a little later so from there you know we i won't hold it for this session but you know we you know took our faith and we turn it over you know to you know to, to god and we said let's uh Let's uh, get out of here, and you know, hand, hand, we're gonna turn over to you, and then a few weeks later, we got a call when we were just you know really down, and uh, feeling you know like such victims with it, and got a call from a Denver news station here for my wife to come here, and which was really important for us, since I had pulled her out of her other job to, to come to Texas. So we moved up here. Uh, then I go through what I call my 100% entrepreneur stage, and I'll get to my 50% here pretty soon. And the 100% entrepreneur stage is that I said, you know, I'm gonna be in control, I'm gonna be in control of everything, and I'm gonna do it all myself, I'm gonna wear all the hats, I'm gonna do all the financing. So, so I did, and I've started five healthcare companies, sold three of them. Um, I have two healthcare companies that are still growing and going. One, uh, Jared Polis has been here before, his partner in one of those, international medical travel company, and um, uh, surgery benefits management. Sounds like that uh, run or the, the event that you're doing, if you want to That's come up to the conference. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, that, and then I've started a couple sports companies. I have one called Sports Shares, it's a fractional luxury suite club like NetJets, but for sports suites, we're in Denver, Atlanta, I'm going to be in Dallas and San Fran. Um, and doing real estate, investor in funds, and Vista Ventures and other stuff. Just doing a lot of alternative investing, squat in the public markets. Uh, because of that control issue. Uh, and and what I found with it was that, as being the 100% entrepreneur, as I, as, as, as I got wise with it, is that I wanted to be half of that. I want to be a 50% entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is, is I would rather, instead of taking the idea here and J-curving it through that pain of what you think is gonna be a year, turns into two years, you know, et cetera. And I'd rather come out and be the investor or get involved in the company once it's gone through a lot of that pain. So maybe it's later stage, you know, growth capital and venture, uh, it's buyouts, those kind of things. And what, um, it, you know, w- where that's happening, And I'll come back to that 50% entrepreneur kind of philosophy here. But um, that led to me in in 07, can I keep going here, Brad? I'm, I'm giving you three more minutes and the right. questions. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to where I am now in, in the transition, so I get a call from a recruiter in the middle of seven I trying to run my own family office and, uh, and it's an anonymous billionaire family in Colorado looking uh, for somebody to run their investments and It turns out um, in the family the, the patriarch um, it runs a publicly traded company called Teletech. Uh, his name's Ken Tuckman. And um, Ken's just a, one of the greatest entrepreneurial stories. He started the call center industry for inbound customer service. They've got 50,000 employees globally. He's publicly traded again. Uh, and um, so anyway, Ken, Ken got uh, a few hundred million dollars of liquidity, you know, at the time with great foresight in early 07. He said, I want to get closer to the decision making um, uh, versus, you know, some fund investing and things like that uh, for exposure to his risk. So uh so he hired a team and i said hey i'll put my small dollars next to your big dollars can and let's let's go and be opportunistic and that's and that's where we are today with mantucket capitals a little over a billion under management and we're opportunistic and we mostly do private equity buyouts we do uh, distressed assets special situations we do we have a lending platform or the pawn shop for picassos and which just, is just, a great niche business uh, for, for lending. Um, so, anyway, we're, we're opportunistic with it. And that's, that's kind of led to me being this 50% entrepreneur I can go into a little later. Pause. Pause. Take a deep breath. Yeah.
0: So, wind, wind the clock back a little bit to Chemdex. How many people here remember Chemdex? Not a few. That's good. So Chemdex peaked at eight billion you had a couple of partners in Chemdex
1: oh yeah, lots yeah
0: so what happened to some of the co-founders of Chemdex do you have do you keep track of them
1: David uh, Perry is the he's the true genius the CEO he was entrepreneur of the year nationwide you know that year and um, and so anyway, David is he he was not able to sell as much in the secondary offering because it would have tanked the stock um, but don't feel bad for him. He got plenty plenty um, uh, of liquidity there. And then he is now running a biotech company in, in California. I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's doing very well. Um, strong venture-backed company.
0: Would you invest in any of the partners that you had back then?
1: Oh yeah, David, I, I would all day long. You bet. Okay.
0: So you went from this, this time period where you had this sort of big win, pre-bubble, you got liquidity. You then watched it fall apart. What, what time frame did you leave Chemdex? Where, where was the company when you finally left? I
1: was, I was kind of a hybrid with it where I got things started, funded it. I was kind of the consigliere, you know, for the financing strategy and looking at Morgan Stanley for the iBanker and setting up the term sheets with the venture capital firms and things. But then I got out of active management because I was in love. I was in a new marriage, and and I went from Harvard Business School down to Mobile, Alabama, to be with my wife. And there's not a whole lot of Silicon Valley in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> Great shrimp. It's uh, yeah, in Creole, but it's uh, it was you know there was some
0: traveling, so I started doing buyouts um, with you did some other folks. Yep. So you end up in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. Spend a few minutes on um sort of the dynamics around you know hitting hitting the bottom uh of that business what was the emotional range that you had to deal with what were some of the dynamics you had to deal with when uh, you found out that the guy was embezzling from you and you hadn't really sort of pre-wired everything the way you thought it would be a show of hands anybody ever been a victim of a crime
1: it doesn't feel very good, you know, and of of any size, you know, I had my jean jacket stolen in high school and I felt like crap, (laughs) you know, but let alone a few million bucks. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's what, that's what it was. You just feel like, you know, it's it's your fault. You're, you're an idiot, you know, certainly in a business sense, you know, I should have seen it coming. I should have done that background check. I should have that financial control is all hindsight that, you know, I should have known. Um, and, you know, to boot, I had, you know, it was such a you know, great deal that I had put some of my dad's money into it and he was heading towards retirement, which was hands down, you know, and his was, you know, several X factor less than what I had in it, but that's the money that meant
0: the most to me. Um, when When you found out what was going on with this guy, how did you deal with him sort of through that moment, because I think one of the entrepreneurial lessons and for those of you that have been here before, you heard some stories of ups and downs of other relationships and especially when there was a trust side on the front end of it that got broken somehow did you confront him? did you deal with him? did you turn it over to the, you know to, to the law did you ignore him? did you jump up and down with glee when he got sent to jail what was the uh, what, what was your engagement with that um So, so one lesson in there is the
1: CEO and CFO were in cahoots and that's a tough chain to break, uh, from financial controls. And so I, I, and it was this cult of personality. There's only like 25 people in the, in the company and he had his sister in bookkeeping and I mean, it was just a mess from financial controls. Uh, So I was on, I was on my own, you know, everybody else had grown up in Tyler, Texas, you know, and, and I was in there, so I was on my own. I didn't have, it was hard for me to confront them. So I confronted it through data, like I, I gathered evidence. And that's when I had to literally break into my own office to go gather evidence with it. And it was one call to the FBI, and, the, and that's all. That's all I had to do. I didn't have to testify, nothing. It was, um, you know, that, it, was cause, cause it, was, it was actually, they went down because of the bank fraud. Yep.
0: So you moved, you moved to Denver. Did you know anybody when you moved to Denver? Um, just a couple people, uh, how did, how did, with, how, did but, how did you break into the Denver, the Denver scene as an entrepreneur that was coming from Tyler, Texas?
1: Um, I have always placed a great emphasis on, uh, the power of network of the network. And, and it's, you know, for me in business, it was, you know, who I knew first. And then I had to back it up with what I knew even, you know, Chemdex was because, I knew a smart guy like David Perry who could put that business plan really together, um, and so, um, so so I started off and, and got involved, in, you know, some some alumni networks, those kind of things. But then, what really rocketed for me from an entrepreneur perspective is in two organizations, um, a group called EO or Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, let's see, I've got a couple of friends who are involved in that up up here. Um, and in a group called YPO, or Young Presidents Organization. Um, and those have just been in, absolutely incredible for my personal development because you, you get together and not only talk about, I know you've got some background with EO, right? Mm-hmm. Did you start the chapter here? Mm-hmm. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Under, Zen Under um, It's a good chapter, too. Isn't yeah, it? it's great. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, it's, it's really focused on not only business development, but personal and family growth and those kind of things, real confidential environment.
0: So, when did you move to denver i don 't remember the dates
1: oh two thousand and two two thousand and
0: two so October. you met you met Ken in two thousand and seven yeah, so between two thousand and two and two thousand and seven, you went through a, a range where you were hundred percent entrepreneur to fifty percent entrepreneur and what was the sort of I think a lot of people here understand and have heard the hundred percent entrepreneur story. What was the break point for you where you started stepping back and saying being the guy on the front line and having control every, over everything and having no sort of time and space to think about the other stuff isn't necessarily my thing. I would say, uh, you know, I was financing
1: most of my ventures uh, myself for a while. And then I, one of the healthcare companies I started, um, it's called Smart And SmartCare Care, uh, I'd start from scratch in business plan a so, uh, minor key retail healthcare center, so clinics, and we got one of the two contracts with Walmart. We competed in nationwide bank Off and ready Clinic, Steve Case's company and my company got the two contracts. So we put in fifteen smart cares within Walmart's uh, right here in, in the Colorado area, and and I just it started getting away from me because it was really capital intensive. It was more retail than healthcare, and so we had to sell it. You know, it's it a good thing, good timing when I did sell it, but it was. I was dealing with um, a couple of family offices that weren't all aligned especially in their own asset allocation with it I don't think they really expected to be that capital intensive so when that happened I just you know it, it was in their control they got in a in a match after I was sold out of the company they got in a um, in a fight on the board with two major family offices and they just shut it down they just Shut it down it didn't make any sense, and they called everybody up and and that was kind of a turning point for me to say, you know i I'll take some more stability here you know it's having a, a paycheck was kind of kind of cool i I took my first paycheck that I'd ever received since I was an Alice, Alex Brown, fifteen, thirteen years ago, something like that, with it, uh, and sent it to my sister uh, that first paycheck. It was just so cool, and she needed the money.
0: Yeah. Talk talk about some of the personal dynamics that were tested sort of pre-coming to Denver. You alluded to them, but you didn't go very deep on them uh, with your wife. And she got a job when she came here. Um, Obviously, it sounds like you guys made it through that pretty well. What, What were some of the things that you did as a couple sort of in this moment where it was difficult and you were going through your own evolution, but she was having to put up with you know whatever was moving around both in terms of you know success and failure but your personal net worth and the stability about where you're going to be and what you're going to do
1: uh it's um boy that's a that's a deep one uh brad thanks for asking that um boy uh so my marriage marriage counseling therapy -er. here Well, you know, my, my wife actually, um, she, she got up in front of uh, several thousand people that uh, would go to a church in the Highlands Ranch called Cherry Hills, um, and it's like Fort God. It's just this huge church. And um, and she got up on stage and did a format, actor studio kind of format interview, and I was so proud of her, and, and, and I heard some things that were really helpful to get me through it. And, her, and so I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase what she said from this. Is that you know we were we were saying hey we had a career battle here's you know I'm an entrepreneur and I want to do this and go here and she was a news anchor and you know top of the market million people watching her and those kind of things and it's hard to get a news anchor job there's just not that many openings and so so I said honey this is it I've been down in Mobile Alabama from you know for a few years now I thought it was gonna be like a year and it was our first part of our marriage and so so I said, We're going, you know, that's it's time. It's time for, for me and for us in development. We've gotta take the leap of faith. And she said, Okay, we're going. Well, eight months later, she's still in Alabama. Now, luckily I had a Lear thirty one pilots to take me back every weekend and things like that and with Terry Bradshaw and it was it was fun, but um on the trips, but uh but I didn't have my wife and I had a new baby, by the way, and she still didn't come with me. So she she finally said, she was the one who said, you know, and this is, um, you know, we're Christians, and she turned it over to the power of prayer and and said, what do I do? How do I have Tyler change his mind? And kind of the answer she got in his heart was, I think I need to change. And so she made that leap of faith, um, and three weeks later she moved, and three weeks after that she got a job anchor in the news in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so, you know... You, provide it you know in that sense and so then it was okay but i mean we were we were on the brink you know for those eight months and then after everything happened on the on the back side of it it was again it was like okay what do we do and then she got it she got an offer and we, we we took it we moved our family we got a house everything in a three time period so so you got any therapy for that anybody got anything to share any stories you guys like you got stories yeah. Yeah.
0: I want to take you back to the team experience. So you have a terrific experience with um, Kendex, right? And that team formation goes as good as possible. And then with Tyler Jets, it's about as uh, unhappy experience as possible. And I'm wondering, as you pick entrepreneurs now, um, do you test them in a different way that's informed by that? What should you have looked at differently or what do you think you did right on the front end? What should have been analyzed at the jets and how does that inform how you pick teams today well
1: one thing is that the companies that we're really looking at now are we're, we're doing more buyouts than anything and then we're looking at you know the assets underneath so we have just heavy, heavy valuation and due diligence on on assets now for the for the people um so it's not it's not as as dependent as you know, venture stage in, in our due diligence because uh, of the assets where they are. That's my point in that. But in terms of the people and the, and the teams, we do, you know, I, I still trust but verify. It's gonna maybe burn me again someday, but I still like people. And, and what I tr- really try to do is, sounds simple, but is to really get to the, know them, establish a relationship you know, almost in a social sense, and hang out with them, and, and talk, and get those kind of things going. And then we just do intense due diligence with background checks, and to the level of you know private eyes on you know certain things, and um, you know lots of reference checks, those kind of things. Uh, but I, uh, but then it's you know structure of the company, organization design, financial controls. You know, we're pretty intense about controls.
0: When, when you got the call from an anonymous billionaire, what was the first thought that went through your mind? I hope he owns a sports team. Uh, so,
1: but I didn't, um, so it, it, was, it, was, it was intriguing to say, man, I, I can do bigger deals. I don't have to fundraise. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. And, and and I can have the rights of, you know, your preferred stock rights or whatever, uh, of having the power of several million dollars in the investment rather than several hundred thousand dollars in investment, you know? And that was really appealing
0: to, to co-invest. What was what was the dance like as the two of you got to know each other? Because it's a pretty big commitment on, on Ken's side to bring somebody on to do that. He, he's um, really an intense...
1: Individual, especially, you know, intellectually in, intense. So, you know, he had me uh, uh, go and test and look at a couple of deals, you know, do some analysis and recommendation if we should do the deal or not and how to structure it. Uh, I took, a you know, a couple of personality tests and those kind of things and, you know, lots of other, you know, due diligence he talked to. They had, in the process, they had called the private equity community in Colorado and said, who's... Who's out there? And of ten calls, I came up on six of six of the lists, and just out of the blue, like I don't know, you know, how that happened except for the power of the network is that there's a lot of my running buddies the uh, you know private equity people in, in town.
0: What was the cycle time from first call to shaking hands and deciding to, to work together? Um, probably about uh, four months, four or five months, yeah yeah any any point during that four or five months where you felt like eh, this isn't the right thing um, No, I was pretty committed, and three years later uh including one major financial crisis in the middle of it um what's the what what what's been the fifty percent entrepreneur experience? how has that felt after five years of you know intense control previous to it it's great our uh you know it's
1: our, our performance. We're up fifty uh, nine percent in two thousand eight and over in the seventies in two thousand nine in our performance the capital that I deployed. And it's because Ken was smart enough to have a lot of liquidity and to see the world's bloodiest recession, you know, coming and to invest to it. And 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 we were able to get through that because because he had that foresight. Now our investing is a uh, digress here, Brad, but is strategic outbound thesis oriented. So you know, I had a thesis of four sectors that we should invest in if it was going to be that bad of a recession, and we bought two companies in that in that um, in, in those sectors. And then on nine, we've done uh, we did mostly distressed situations as we're talking about.